my people, with you whom is poor. You shall not be to him as a creditor, and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's garment in pledge, you shall restore it to him before the sun goes down. For that is the only covering. It is his mantle for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. You shall not revile God, nor curse the ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do likewise to your ox, oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its dam. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be men consecrated for me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall cast it to the dogs. Okay, so most of the, some, some familiar phrases in here and most of these um, I think fall under that idea of protection laws again. Um, so the, the first portion here with the young women, what is the, what is the protection for them? They don't have to marry. Pay a price and marry. So they don't have to marry, right? But they... Um, yeah, they have to yeah, take her as his wife. But right. if the father objects, then that's... Yeah, so this is interesting. And, and what happens if the father objects? Then you just pay twice. He's well. You pay anyway. Uh, so it's basically saying, um, it, so obviously the ideas of um, you know virginity much much more rigid then, but they did exist. Um, that had as much to do that had less to do with. I think the way maybe we could say it's been sentimentalized. Um, in more modern times and more frankly just to do with the idea of um, knowing what families are what birth birth fathers and you know all that sort of stuff so interestingly enough in this in this law here at Exodus if a man seduces a, a young girl um, the he has he's obliged to marry her unless the father says no Either way, he's paying the bride price because it's probably a long shot she's going to get the opportunity to either be married again or possibly that it would be to a man of lower standing than it originally would have been. So um, because it's, because it's um, changed her position in society, the, the protection goes to the family and it's a double protection. The man's going to wind up paying anyway the bride price to, the, to her family and he may or may not have to marry her, but that's going to be left up to the girl's father. So why would we only um, murder a female sorcerer? Where's that one? 18. 18. We shall not permit a sorcerer. A female sorcerer to live. To live. I read a sorcerer. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, there were no males. I'm sure there must have been some. Well, there were male ones because, well, in Egypt there were male sources. Yeah, it it feels like probably two things. Um, there is just general sort of uh, what's the word misogyny back then within society. Um, you know the idea that women women as witches and all this sort of stuff. Um, but the, the I, I wonder if that's also addressing something specific that I'm not sure of. If that was a, um, or that they, or that that's the way the women worked towards other gods. And even though it doesn't say it, um, it talks about anyone making a sacrifice two verses down that will then be destroyed as well. So Greek, or excuse me, Hebrew, and, and most languages, frankly, historic languages and really a lot of languages still other than English often have are gendered. 
and English used to operate more like this, but the the male gender is the neutral. And then if you're specifically talking about females, you change the wording. You'd have something similar here. So what you what that leaves you with is that instance where a sometimes when it says if a person does something, that could be male or female, or it could just be male. But if it says female, that just means female, right? So even when it's talking about then, you know, whoever goes about sacrificing to another god will be utterly destroyed. Does that mean men and women, or is this more of a prohibition for men? So if that's often how you can, if, it's, if it says female, you know it's female. If it's more generic, it could be limited to men, or it could be men and women. And, and that creates um, ambiguity for us sometimes. So there, there are even, even other ones here that are, you know, you can, you can drill down a little bit. Um, basically, whoever has sex with an animal shall be put to death. Um, so, right, there's kind of, I think, two reasons you could say that's in existence. What's, what's more the obvious one? I mean, why, would they why do you think they would have this as a law? And they were having laws because they were doing it. People were doing this. Yeah, they have laws because people are doing it. Um, they have a lot of the... One reason is just obviously they relegated things that were vastly different like that to kind of abhorrent behavior. And to some extent, we still do that with some things. But the other, the other reason is put, to put ourselves in the mindset of kind of cleanliness and ritualistic cleanliness culture. Not only has the person been defiled, they've defiled the animals, um, which would be used for food and sacrifice. So it's not just what they're doing um, in ritually, in ritually um, making themselves unclean. They're also sort of tainting everything else, so to speak. Um, that, one, that might be why it's such a strong it's prohibition. It's going to be the men that are out with the animals, not the women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They are the shepherds yes. in the field and this sort of thing. Yes, and that's, oh yeah. Anyway, um, two other kind of notables here. This is, I can't remember if this is the first time we've heard this. Um, you shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. That's a theme that will come up again, um, along with the protection of widows and orphans. Um, that's sort of, phrase that becomes both literal widows and orphans and symbolic of, you know, kind of those that are um, marginalized by, by the society based on what they don't have in their close family unit. Because um, remember, you have your family, your family takes care of you, um, you take care of your family. It's, it's reliant on that as a system. So if you're a widow or an orphan um, and you have no one, you're in really bad straits, potentially. Um, so there's there's protection built in for them. And and just after that, this is the first time that we get a prohibition against usury. This isn't a total ban against usury. It's a partial ban. So if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you shall not deal with them as a creditor. You shall not exact interest from them. Um, so usury is the is the prohibition against charging interest. In this case, it seems specific to if you're lending money to the poor. If it's two rich landowners lending money to each other, they can charge each other interest because that's a business purpose maybe. Um, but if it's someone that needs food to eat or something to fix their house or something like that, um, the money should be lent to them and they'll just pay it back when they can. At You, you lend me a dollar, I'll pay you back a dollar. And that's the restriction. And usury laws actually existed because of the Old Testament prohibition within Western Europe um, up into the Middle Ages. There was that was seen as an absolute huge rule: you do not charge interest. But then we know that in the New Testament, it said that's some of the things that they were doing, because that's some of the things that Christ said that you know you're taking advantage of these people and. I, I don't think they were probably engaged in usury. Um, because that was pretty, 
That I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Because that comes out of the Old Testament. So I don't... But there were always... If there's a law, people try to find the loophole or the workaround, right? So maybe they weren't charging interest, but maybe they were doing something else that was unfair practices. And they were saying, well, you know, Jesus deals with this a lot in the Gospels. People keep the letter of the law and something, but they don't keep the spirit of the law. So there would be other ways to extract from people. Now then this bit about the firstborn son, you shall give to me. What does that mean? Does that mean they are dedicated to the Lord? Yeah. Then they don't take the other boys or uh, the other children into the temple? Uh, well, there's no temple yet, but certain, it's not, it wouldn't be mandatory. This is the mandatory. Your firstborn you will dedicate to me. Um, and again, why the firstborn? That was the one that would get all the inheritance. It's the most important. Yeah, that's the one that's going to carry on the carry on the paternal line, the family. So it was the most the most important one. And if if the first son, so the next generation of leaders are all consecrated to the Lord, they then sort of carry on that extra responsibility. And I get what you're saying, Mary. Why not? Just have everyone be in that same boat, but um, it's it's just they want to make sure that firstborn son is now for the animals, right? It's sacrifice. sacrifice. Yeah, it's not just consecration; it's sacrifice. All right, let's pick up at chapter twenty-three. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with the wicked to act as a malicious witness. You shall not follow a man majority in wrongdoing when you bear witness in a lawsuit. You shall not side with the majority so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to the poor in the lawsuit. When you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey going astray, you shall bring it back. When you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would hold back from setting it free, you must help to set it free. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in their lawsuits. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent and those in the right, for I will not acquit the guilty. You shall take no bribe, for a bribe binds the officials and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppose a resident alien. You know in the heart of an alien, you know the heart of an alien, for you are aliens of the land of Egypt. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the wild animals may eat. You shall do the same for your vineyards and your olive orchard. Six days shall you do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, so that your ox and your donkey may have relief, and your home-born slave and the resident alien may be refreshed. Be attentive to all that I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Three times a year you shall hold a festival for me. You shall, you shall observe the festival of unleavened bread as I have commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, or in it you came out of Egypt. No one shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall observe the festival of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of that what you sow in the field. You shall observe the festival of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my festival remain until the morning. The choicest of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. I am going to send an angel in front of you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Be attentive to him and listen to his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression for my name is in him. But if you listen attentively to his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. 
when my angel goes out in front of you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites, I shall blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods or worship them or follow their practices, but you shall utterly demolish them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall worship the Lord your God, and I will be your I will bless your bread and your water, and I will take your sickness away from among you. No one shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the numbers of your days. I will send my terrors in front of you, and will throw into confusion all the peoples against whom you shall come, and I will make all of your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send the pestilence in front of you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, or the land will become desolate and the wild animals will multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will hand over to you the inhabitants of the land and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not live in your land, or they will make you sin against me. For if you worship their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Hmm. Gives them a lot more land than Israel. Yeah. <laughs> or at least the Israel we know today. Yeah, I wish I had a quick map with me. Um, I don't think this Bible, well, that Bible has one maybe. Oh no, I have, uh, maybe I do have one in here. Well, there's one in the, in the... There's a big one in the library, yeah. All right, here's a... All right, so we had the land of the Phil... I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines. All right, here's the Red Sea. And a picture of the Sea of the Philistines or wherever that is. It's got to be the Mediterranean. Uh, Philistines to the north. The Assyrians are north. Let's see, Philistines. Moab, Indian, Gibson. Okay, so the Ammonites are east. The, oh, I don't have the location exactly. Or is that the Phoenicians? Well, here's the Red Sea on this map. Yeah. And then this down here says Philistia. Oh, there you go. And the wilderness and over to the Euphrates. So it's a, like Mary was right though, it's a broadly drawn area. But yes, yeah, so they get that, they get a um, glimpse of the, the peoples that are there and uh, specifically where they're going um, and what God will do for them. And, and as we've talked about the last couple times we met, it's tied in now with both promise and obedience. So it's, it's not a mistake that it comes after this long list of, of rules and regulations. Um, and often building on things that are Again, I would say pretty, pretty strong in the idea of protecting people um, and protecting society. So, really, a, a long stretch there on fairness. Um, and there is a there is a quest for an actual sort of big T truth in what they're going to be doing. You don't just join the majority if they're in the wrong. You don't uh, you don't give bribes. You don't conspire with others to lie against others. Um, you don't if the, even if you feel bad, you know, it says something about you don't give judgment just to the poor because they're poor. So it's, it's looking for that sort of ultimate truth in things, um, which is, which is a high standard, um, but, a, but certainly a worthy one. Now, how many years is it they wander in the wilderness? 
Oh, 40. Oh, 40 is always the stock answer, whatever that means. Yeah. Well, they wanted the they wanted the generation to, to die off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most most Except most of them. For Aaron and Moses, but Moses doesn't cross over. Moses can't get quite over either. Um, but again, we kind of talked about there's there's wandering and then there's what they're doing in their travels, right? So they're and how much of this do we read as these are future laws that you'll do once you get in the land versus what you're doing now? But they clearly have rules that are being established around some agrarian lifestyle. So they're not permanently set yet, but they have fields. Um, they're growing things in these fields. They're introducing ideas of years, six and seven year time markers for what you do with your fields. Um, so again, there's that question of, well, are they working forward or working backwards in terms of, well, when you have fields, this is the way you'll, you'll operate them. Or in their wandering, is it less wandering than we think about it sometimes? And do they have sort of established communities along the way? Um, which kind of sounds like they've, they're certainly not just acting like a people that are um, on the road permanently. Well, they'd be an awfully big group to be on the road permanently. They would be. Yeah. Now they, they have, they're being fed and they're being watered, right, by, by the hand of God still. Um, so, you know, you could say, well, that, that accounts for that. But it also, they're having all these rules. They have oxen, right? You know, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's, a, there's clearly a community. What do you use the oxen for but to plow the ground? Yeah. <laughs> they're having oxen. They're having um, new generations of, of children. They're having these festivals. They're not... They're not just picking up their stuff and walking every single day. I think that's that's pretty evident by what's being um, rendered in the law giving here. So they've got some land, but they will expand. They'll expand and they, and they will move, right? They so move the capital. And yeah, and I, I think we talked last week about maybe it's more like um, oh, I don't like no, sort of nomadic. So there's places along this in this area that are theirs, and maybe they continue to move around. Um, but when they come back to these places, it's still there. They might have fields there. Um, so we pick up at chapter 24. No, 25. 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship at a distance. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord and rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of, a mount, at the, foot of the mountain and set up 12 pillars corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed oxen as offerings of well-being to the Lord. Maybe that's what happened to all the oxen, Mary. <laughs> Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half of the blood he dashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Moses took the blood and dashed it on the people and said, See the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there was something like a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, also, they beheld God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone, with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, Wait here for us until we have come to you again, for Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, go to them. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, 
and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain. In the sight of the people of Israel, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to make for me an offering. For all whose hearts prompt them to give you, you shall receive of the offering for me. This is the offering that they shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the oil, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and gems to be set in the ephod and for the breastpiece, and have them make me a sanctuary so that I might dwell among them. In accordance with all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, and it shall be two and a half cubits long, and a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside you shall overlay it, and you shall make a molding of gold upon it all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side. You shall make pieces, you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it on the poles in the rings on the sides of the ark by which to carry the ark. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. You shall put into the ark the covenant that I shall give you. Then you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall it be its length, and the cubit and a half its width. You shall make two cherubim of gold. You shall make them of hammered work. And at the two ends of the mercy seat, place them. Make one cherubim at one end and one cherubim at the other. And one piece of the mercy seat, you shall make the cherubim at its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. They shall face to one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the covenant that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the covenant, I will deliver to you all my commands for the Israelites. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, one cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. You shall make around it a rim and a handbreadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim. You shall make it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. The rings that hold the poles used for carrying and the table shall be close to the rim. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. You shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me always. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The base of the shaft of the lampstand shall be made from hammered work. Its cups, its calyxes, and its petals shall be one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of the sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups shall be like almond blossoms, each with calyx and petals, and one branch, the three cups shaped like almond blossoms, each with calyx and petals on the other branch. So far, so for the six branches going out of the lampstand. On the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups shaped like almond blossoms, each with its calyxes and petals, and shall be a calyx of one piece with it under the first pair of branches, a calyx of one piece with it under the next pair of branches, and a calyx of one piece with it under the last pair of branches. So for the six branches that go out on the lampstand, their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it. The whole of it shall be hammered out of a piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamp shall be set up as to give light on the space in front of it. Its snuffers and trays shall be of pure gold. It and all these utensils shall be made of pure gold. And see to it that to make them according to the pattern for which 
is being shown to you on the mountain. That's a lot of work. They're still building instructions to come. They're still really? building instructions where to come. Getting, where are they getting all this gold? Yeah, I'm curious Ooh. too because they, they used all their gold, I thought, to make the calf. <laughs> well, that hasn't happened yet, has it? Or did it? I don't think that's happened yet. Yes, yes it did. We, we talked about that before. Did it happen yet? I know we've talked about it. But I don't, I don't know if that's happened yet. Crossing the Red Sea. Uh, right from heaven. Water from the rock. Maybe not. Maybe it came from some other devotion reading in Exodus. Well, and again, a lot of these stories are, are similar in some of the parts, and some of them are even repetitious, and they include different things and not. Moses is going to go up the mountain a couple times, because um, we haven't quite got to that portion yet. He's already entered the cloud, and he's receiving these instructions. He still has to come back down and have his face, um, you know, blazing white and all that sort of stuff. Well, and I speak to him, and he's they're talking about... <clears throat> Scarlet, blue, and purple. Well, purple is very, very difficult to make and was very costly. Yeah. And uh, only the queen, of, or, yeah, the, the queen of Egypt had the purple for her. Um, oh my goodness! Sales. I'm not. Let me see what time it was. I think. There's a, there's a lot more building instruction coming. In fact, the next several chapters um, are going to be building instruction. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll breeze over these and we can read them on our own time. Um, it's going to talk about the tabernacle, um, how things are going to be framed, the curtain, the altar and how that's going to be made, um, the hangings, the oil for the lamp, what the priests will wear. Um, detailed, detailed instructions. Let's see. The breastplate, other vestments. Um, how priests shall be ordained. Um, maybe that's important to peek at. That's up to chapter 29 now. Um, you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Um, so Aaron is going to be a priest of the Lord and his sons will be as well. But his ordination as priest is going to be important. I don't... You know that's interesting. Um, Moses isn't a isn't a priest, and they're establishing. It's not a temple yet. It's going. It's a traveling traveling temple because they still haven't been established yet in terms of the ark and all these things around it. Um, so the, the temple fair will be kind of set up around it, but you need priests then, um, and that's. That's something that um, needs to be established within the community. Oh boy. The altar of incense, the uh, all sorts of daily offerings, the basin, um, anointing oil and incense. So let's jump all the way to chapter 31. Okay, now I noticed in here that yeah. you used acacia wood. Yeah. Uh, acacia trees are found not in the uh, they're found in the savannah mm -hmm. yeah so if they've got all that then they are not in the desert they are on the edge of the desert where they are because the trees have got to be there they've got to get them but they've got to be right there with them I mean they're not going to go two three hundred miles to get a cage no so there's you could have two explanations then, right? So either there was acacia wood because, again, you, you don't have quite have this uh, Sahara creep quite as much yet, so maybe there's acacias growing further north, um, or they're participating in trade. So if you think about those rules, um, who is part of the rule that's established for? That, that sort of famous line. Remember that you too, 
right. we're an alien in a foreign land. Um, so when it's talking about aliens among them, right, is this a future prescriptive law or is this a, a description of something that's occurring with them? So they're, they're traveling, but again, they, they have this community that's set up. They have foreigners. We have rules about foreign slaves and things like that already. So they're, a, they're an established community, so they might be trading. They might be bringing in the acacia wood. Um, certainly when they go in to build the temple uh, with Solomon, interestingly enough, they don't use native wood. Um, Solomon trades with the, uh, for the cedars of Lebanon. And that's what's brought, floated down to, to build the temple. So I would suspect it, maybe there were acacia up there, but you're right. They're much further south into East Africa as we know them. They might be trading for them. Um, and, and they're living in a, in a land of trade routes. Um, anything coming through Egypt, through Egypt out of, out of Egyptian Africa, um, is, that existed trading with Phoenicians and all sorts of other um, tribes and civilizations throughout that area. I mean, it's a crossroads, right? That that Near East, um, East Asia or West Asia um, area has always been sort of a a crossroads for a lot of civilizations. Yeah. All right, Mary, can you pick it up at thirty-one? I think that's I think that's most of the in building instructions that have been going on now for about six chapters. Well, as we write above it, there's a negative thing about perfume. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called uh, by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. And I shall, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge of all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for the work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed him, Oholiba, the son of Ahish Amak, of the tribe of Dan, I didn't know there was a tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, and they may make all that I have commanded you. The, content, the tent of meeting, ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is there upon, and all the furnishings of the tent. The table is you you utilize and pure lamps stand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils and the labor and its base and the fine worked garments and holy garments for Aaron the priest and garments for his sons in their service as priests and appointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all I have commanded you, shall, you shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout all your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done. On the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had made an 
end of speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Well, there we got the. After all of that other stuff, <laughs> we now get the tablets. Yeah, and it's kind of. Um... It's not very dramatic, the, the tablets, at least in the, in the scripture here. It's just, he said he was going to give them the tablets. When God was finished speaking uh, with Moses on Sinai, he gave them the tablets. That's kind of it. Um, no fiery. No, no, none of that, right? None of that. It's just, just kind of it. Um, but now we get to pick up with chapter 32. Here's the story we were looking for. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall be before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on your ears and of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off all the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, turned it into a mold, and cast it in the image of a calf. And they said, These are your, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and burnt off and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. Let's pause for a second. Um, th this is funny because this is a story I've always, I've always kind of got a little wrong too. Who's responsible for the golden calf? Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, who Moses, who has been chosen as the priest, but so Moses is up on the mountain and God is giving him instruction. You know, this Aaron, I like him. He's going to be the priest and his sons are going to be the priest and the people, they're worried. And, and my goodness, he's, you know, Moses is, I don't know what happened to him. He's, 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 he's been up there too long. He's probably dead. Um, you you got to do something there. Aaron says, like, Got it. Everyone give me your gold. Melts it down. Makes a calf of gold. And says, behold your gods. They brought you out of Egypt. <laughs> you can't You can't get it much wrong. Um, God, is, God is aware of what is going on. So let's pick it up at verse 7 with God's response. The Lord said to Moses, go down at once. <laughs> your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I have commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with such great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with an evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind. Do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised. I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit forever. Then the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring upon the people. All right, let's pause there again. And um, so, and this is, a, this is something we've seen before people coming back to God um, when God is about to render stiff judgment. Mm -hmm. um, Moses, I believe, does this a couple times with uh, almost on behalf of the Egyptians and on behalf of Pharaoh. Right now, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's changed this time. God says, "All right, he's not, but I'll let you do it." Um, also, reminiscent of the story that we find within um, 
uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah, the lead up to that, when Abraham persuades God and, you know, let's, let's not do this. Let's, what if there's 50 people, 40, um, 30, 10, you know, would you do it for 10? Um, so God has been willing to, to hear the pleas of, of God's people. And interestingly enough, God, God seems aware of this because what does God tell, why does God tell Moses to leave? Tells them to leave, leave the mountain, go down. Yeah, go down to the people because they have sinned. So that God can do what? Bring down his own wrath. Yeah, and be mad, right? God is, it's this really interesting look at, at God in the scriptures here in that God is all charged up. God wants to destroy the people. Why doesn't God want Moses there anymore? It says he's going to make him a great nation. He's going to bring something out from him then? Well, he'll do that, but why does God seem to want him, want him away? He doesn't want to hurt Moses? Well, he wants the people to know that it's God and not Moses. Yeah, I I don't think God wants talked out of it. Oh, okay. Um, Moses, get down there. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and of you I will make great nations. So yes, it's, it's protecting Moses in a sense. Um, but we have this kind of history already, this this back and forth that happens between God and God's servants. And God's, God's like committed, go away, let me burn with my wrath, right? <laughs> Moses is gonna make the plea and ultimately God, God sort of, God knows, all right, God is merciful. Um, and God's mercy keeps showing up in these ways that, um, you know, when we talk about both the God of love, but I think also this God of creation, um, that has created the creature of people that are gods, or just, not that they are gods, but they, they belong to God. And God has very clearly a soft spot for people. Um, even when that is not the, you could say the just or the normal reaction of a God, especially like other gods in comparison, um, in the way that other gods are portrayed. This God of the Israelites, this Lord and creator, has this, has this love for, the crea for what God has created in these humans that is markedly different from um, the way other gods have been under understood. Other gods didn't, they didn't serve their own people in the same way. The people's role was to worship them. And maybe they could be persuaded by burnt offerings um, or something like that that pleased them. You know, this, this steps out of Exodus a little bit, but what does God wind up saying again and again about burnt offerings? He doesn't want burnt offerings. Right. He wants a contrite heart. Yeah, this God is different. This our, The God that we believe in wants relationship. It is not just a distant creator that needs their burnt offerings and doesn't really care about the people. Um, this God cares about, our God cares about us. And that's, and so even when God wants to act like, in a sense, what many would have understood as the typical response of the gods back then, um, you know, go away from me, Moses. I'm going to destroy them. Just go away. I want to do this. Moses doubles back with a plea, and God changes uh, God's plan to destroy the people. So it's it's a, it, and again, it doesn't strike us as as odd or unusual because we're so used to God and the way that we understand God. Um, but gods were vengeful and powerful. And, and so you go all the way from this and you already see, you already see how you get to a, an understanding of a God of the cross ultimately then. That, that you not only have a God in these Old Testament witnesses that is willing to be merciful in, in a very unusual way, 
but a God that so loves what God has created that they can never quite either go all the way with vengeance and ultimately moves from vengeance or limited vengeance to self-sacrifice. And that is just, you, so you almost see that, that line. I think you can see that line towards the cross already starting. Um, even, in, even in God's, you know, so this can start very early, right? Questions about the story of Genesis, right? What, is, what does God tell Adam about eating the fruit of the tree? And what will happen? You will on this day you will surely die that you eat of it. Eats of the fruit. God doesn't kill him. There are repercussions, kicks him out of the garden. God doesn't kill him. Doesn't say whether God changed God's mind or not, but there's this. Clearly some there's a, there's something there that didn't happen. So right from the beginning, it's this it's this God of mercy, God of grace. Um, you get into the fifth chapter of Genesis. You have the, the Nephilim and, and all the wickedness of the world, and God decides to do what before the Noah story? He's going to destroy everything. Says, yeah. every, every human, every living thing, God's done with it. Well, then God sees Noah, and Noah's righteous. And God says, well, maybe I don't have to destroy everyone. I'm, I'm going to keep trying. And then you bring the Israelites out of the, out of their bondage, out of their land of slavery. They know who have, who's done this before Moses goes up on the mountain. Um, all the all the men are gathered there, and what what do they say about the word? These are the words of the Lord, and we will we will obey them every single thing. So Moses has gone a little too long up the mountain. And Aaron, who is supposed to be the priest and the head of this priestly family, tells them all, because Moses was gone an extra day or two, everyone give me your gold and we're going to make caps. And then it's not just the, the worship of the, the idol. It says what about the golden calf statue or statues that are built? These are your gods. That did what? Brought you out of Egypt. Brought you out of Egypt. Oh! These are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. <laughs> no. I mean, talk about just throwing God over as quickly as you can imagine. It's not just that they're, it's, it's really that extra insult that drives, it's not just that they're worshiping other gods. Oh, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Just complete, I mean, it's not just worshiping other gods, it's completely tossing aside your God that has done this for you. Um, and, and Moses talks God out of God's, God's anger and reminds God of the covenant and of the plan that's already been established. Remember Abraham, remember Isaac, remember Jacob. This is, you have planned for us, your people, to, to do something. Um, so anyway, that's, the, the golden calf story is is just a complete, it's, it's almost so much worse than just the people making some idols. It's, it's, the, it's the entire overthrow of God led by someone that God had just chosen to be the priest. Um, so it's, it's really a, it's really bad. Uh, let's do verse 15 through the end of the chapter. And Moses turned and went down the mountain carrying the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, tablets that were written on both sides, written on the front and the back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved upon the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as he shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound made by victors or the sound made by losers. It is the sound of revelers that I hear. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets from his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Hmm. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people. You know that they are bent on evil. 
They said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Whoever has gold, take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. When Moses saw that the people were running wild, for Aaron had let them run wild to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. Then he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you. Go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you shall kill your brother, your friend, and your neighbor. The sons of Levi did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 of the people fell on that day. Moses said, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of a son or a brother. And so I have brought a blessing on yourselves this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will only forgive their sins, but if not, blot me out of the book you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. See, my angel shall go in front of you. Nevertheless, the day comes for punishment. When the day comes for punishment, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron made. So that's a, it's really a, a dark ending to the, uh, or, or moment. I guess the whole of this episode hasn't ended yet, but um, really, really dark that Moses comes down and, and by his own anger, and it's it's not entirely clear um, whether this is a good thing, a bad thing, um, I mean, obviously it's tragic and, and in that sense it's bad, but whether what God feels about this is a little bit, um, is a little bit unknown and ambiguous as, as we'll continue next week. But it's a, uh, it's a punishment that Moses renders on the people. And he, he does it both through the death of some of their family members and the fact that he makes others carry it out. Um, so he has these these men in the camp go and and slaughter their own um, to to reshow their commitment to the Lord. So it's a it's it's a dark and tragic and and Moses comes down the mountain and interestingly enough Moses who had just talked the uh, who had just sort of talked to God out of utterly destroying the people comes down and and then himself is enraged by what he finds. Um, and then I see this, then the Lord sent a plague upon the people. Yeah. What does plague mean in that instance? Does it mean I don't know. Disease? I don't know. It doesn't really say. It doesn't say. I, I'd be interested to read some of the commentaries on it that the, that the rabbis have done throughout the centuries and, and see what their take on it would be. But, um, but yeah, it's... So then... That ended Aaron and his sons as priests. Uh, no, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. I mean, obviously, it starts to come out of the tribe, of, or it switches to Levites at some point, but I'm not sure when that is. Um, but we'll see what what becomes of Aaron's lineage as we. Oh, I thought Levi was the son of Aaron. I Levi was sons of Aaron. I'm not sure. I think they're going to try. But anyway, so that's where we'll, that's where we'll leave today. And it was the golden calf story. Oh, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord God, continue to open our minds and open our hearts to the words of Scripture, those things that are grave and serious and those things that are um, uplifting and, and building for us. Lord, we give you thanks on this day, and we ask you to teach us always the prayer that our Lord has taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, bye, Gene. Have a great week.